Welcome to Samford University's Campus Worship. We hope you enjoy the presentation. Good morning. There we go. You are awake. Yes, the end of the semester is tiring. It's wearying and testing, confusing, especially if you haven't studied until now. I'm glad to be with you. Thank, thanks to Matt for the invitation. Uh, I would ask you to do one thing this morning, to open the Bible. Uh, Peter, who Jesus will speak with in this passage, earlier in the Gospel of John says that, Jesus, we won't leave you because you have the words of eternal life. So Jesus, who you just sang about, the resurrected King, your Creator, he speaks to us with words of eternal life. So I think they're worth listening to. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, for your word. We thank you for your Son, who is indeed the resurrected King. And I ask now that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight. O Lord Christ, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. The college years, your college years, are full of questions. Where will I go to college? Will I get in to the college I want to go to? Who will be my roommate? Will I like him? Will I like her? What will be my major? Who will I hang out with? Will that fraternity or that sorority or that group let me in? Do they like me? Does she like me? Will she go out with me? Maybe I should ask my friend to go ask her instead. Does he like me? Who will win stepsing? Perhaps the most important question. Will I get the internship? Will I get the job I want? What will my life look like after I graduate? Does my life matter? These are important questions. These are questions that I think you may be asking this morning. These are questions you ask even as you graduate college. You ask different questions, but I ask similar questions. What will my life look like? What will this summer look like? These are important questions. But none of these questions is fundamental. None of these questions is ultimate. The ultimate question which comes to us today in John 21 is, do you love Jesus? Again, the ultimate question is, do you love Jesus? Because the answer to that question, do you love Jesus, do I love Jesus, governs the path and the goal of your life. See, what we love, or who we love, determines what we do. Our desires, they animate what we do with our days, with our weeks, with our years, with our dreams, with our plans. So I ask you today, do you love Jesus? This text in John 21 asks us this question. As you've seen this semester Jesus is a conversational Messiah. He's a conversational God. He engages people in conversation. Because in conversation, Jesus can draw out what is significant, what is important to the people he's speaking with. He finds out what they care about. Actually, he already knows, as we'll see, what they care about. But Jesus speaks with Peter and John in this passage so that they will know what they care about. So that they will know if they love Jesus. 
So the question today, the question today is, do you love Jesus? I think if we love Jesus, if you love Jesus, we must act. We must follow him, as we sing about earlier. And if we follow Jesus, it means we take up his cross, and we follow him wherever and however he leads us. So following Jesus is following him according to his will, not our own. But I would conclude, and we will conclude our time together by seeing that Jesus is worth following. Jesus is worth following. If you open your Bibles, look with me at John 21. Our passage is verses 15 to 25 is where the conversation takes place. But before we get to the conversation, we need to look at the beginning of the chapter to see the context. Uh, because every conversation you've ever had is within a context. Something's happened before, something will happen after that bears on that conversation. This is the case with Scripture. In John 21, Jesus has, what's happened to Jesus? Jesus has been crucified. He's been betrayed, he's been crucified. He's been denied three times by Peter. That will be important. But as we just sang, he has also now risen. Jesus has been raised from the grave. He was truly dead. He didn't pass out. He was dead in the grave, and now he's alive. And he's appeared at least a couple of times to his disciples. And now, finally, at the Sea of Galilee, on the seashore, he appears to his disciples a third time. John 21.1 says, After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias and revealed himself in this way. John tells us, the author of the gospel, that Jesus not just showed up, but Jesus is revealing himself. He's showing his identity. He's showing his significance. So when G John says Jesus revealed himself, this isn't just that Jesus showed up and said, hi, I'd like you to consider me. Jesus shows up as the resurrected king. And when Jesus shows up to reveal himself, he reveals himself in this way. Simon Peter and several other disciples who are now no doubt confused and depressed because their teacher, their friend, their Lord has been crucified. Simon Peter says in verse 3, in essence, I don't know what to do, so I'm going to go fishing. There's an element of desperation and sadness and confusion in Peter's going fishing. So they go out at night, they go fishing, they have trouble catching anything, and as daybreak is coming, they see a figure on the seashore, and this figure, this person calls out to them, children, have you caught anything? They say, no. He says, try casting the net on the right side of the boat. They can't tell who it is, but they listen to him. And they cast the net on the right side of the boat, and they pull up a huge, miraculous catch of fish. By the way, the Sea of Galilee is no big sea. This is, this is a lake. This is a small lake. My wife and I and several other Beeson folks had the privilege, privilege of going to Israel in January, and we stood on the spot where, tradition has it, this conversation took place. And you can see out to the middle of the Sea of Galilee. So from this seashore, this figure calls out, cast it on the right side of the boat. They pull up a huge catch of fish, 
And the beloved disciple, the one who sat next to Jesus at the Last Supper, says, look, it's the Lord. So Peter, bold, brash, courageous Peter, puts on his clothes he had been working, and he dives out into the water, and he swims to the Lord. And then Jesus, as Jesus is prone to do when he wants to have a conversation, he sits down to eat. He feeds his disciples breakfast. None of them, it says in verse 12, asked, who are you? They knew, they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. So this is the context for our conversation. Jesus, the risen King, the resurrected Lord, the Messiah, who had proclaimed the hopes, the restoration of Israel and his people, is now raised from the dead. And as the king of creation, he says, just drop the net on the right side, and they come up with 153 fish. Look with me at verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, shepherd my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him now a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This was this, he said, to show by what kind of death Peter was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. So when they had finished eating breakfast, perhaps Jesus gets up, stands up, and asks Peter to come along for a conversation. Jesus asks Peter three times, do you love me? And notice how he addresses Peter. He calls him Simon, son of John. This is not too different from your mother calling you your full name when you're in trouble. Jesus knows what Peter feels, that their relationship is tenuous. It's in a confused state. Peter is unsure what's about to happen. Three times Jesus asked, do you love me? In the first question, Jesus asked, do you love me more than these? What is Jesus referring to? Is he talking about more than these? Jesus, I think, is asking Peter, do you love me? Yes, more than these other disciples love me. Because earlier in the gospel... In John 13, after Jesus had eaten with his disciples, he washed their feet. He told them that one of them was going to betray him. Judas left to go do what he was going to do to betray Jesus. And then Jesus gives a command, you should love one another as I have loved you. And then Peter says, Lord, where are you going? I want to follow you. Jesus says, Peter, you can't, you're not prepared to follow me yet. Peter is incredulous. He says, 
but Lord, I, I will follow you. I will lay down my life for you. Peter claims that he's now willing to die for Jesus, to die with Jesus, to do anything for Jesus. But remember, how did the rest of the story play out? What happens when Jesus is arrested, when he's taken from the Jewish high priest to Pilate's quarters, Peter follows close behind. Peter's with Jesus. Peter's even led into the room. He's standing inside, just inside the door. He can probably hear how Jesus is being asked, what Jesus is being asked in John 18. And standing at the door with a servant girl who asks him, aren't you the one who's been walking with Jesus? Peter now for the third time says, I'm not the man. I don't know him. Peter denied Jesus three times before the rooster crowed, just as Jesus promised he would. Peter had claimed that he loved Jesus the most. He would die for Jesus, but Peter, at the moment of testing, he failed. He denied Jesus three times. So Jesus shows up on the shore of Galilee, and he tests Peter's love. He says, Peter, do you love me more than yourself? Three times Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? Because three times Peter had denied Jesus. Do you love me more than these? We need to see in this passage that Jesus can restore sinners from our denial, from our betrayal. Jesus had called Peter to be his disciple. He'd called him while fishing. Leave your nets, follow me, come with me. And throughout the gospel story, Peter is quick to pronounce that he loves Jesus, that he will follow Jesus. And yet, as I said, at the moment of testing, Peter failed. He denied Jesus. And yet Jesus shows up to restore Peter to show Peter the forgiveness that he has just purchased on the cross. Because on the cross, what happened on the cross? Jesus died for the sin that Peter was committing the night before he died. Peter sinned against his Lord. He denied him. Have you ever been dumped? Have you ever had a friend talk behind your back? breaks the friendship it breaks the relationship peter for all he knows has broken the relationship what does he do he just goes fishing now but jesus shows up to restore peter jesus asks peter do you love me and peter knows peter says lord you know peter can't stand on his record peter can't say Obviously, I love you, Lord. I've been with you the whole way because Peter denied Jesus. So in the third time, Peter says, Lord, you know everything. Jesus knows that Peter now loves Jesus, that Peter will now follow Jesus wherever. So why does Jesus ask him? Jesus asked Peter to draw it out of Peter. Peter needs to hear himself 
profess and confess that, yes, Lord, I love you. I will follow you. So I'd ask you to consider the, the worst mistake you've made, the worst sin you've committed. Perhaps you have betrayed someone. Maybe you have even denied Jesus. College, these college years are peer pressure field filled years. When you are tested, do you love Jesus the most? You love Jesus more even than this friend. If you have denied Jesus, Jesus can restore you to fellowship with him. So Jesus asks Peter these three questions, the same question three times, do you love me? Because he needs, Peter needs to know that he has been restored. Jesus also asks Peter because Jesus has a job for Peter to do. If we love Jesus, we must act. We must do what he says. Jesus says the first time, feed my lambs. The second time, shepherd my sheep. The third time, feed my sheep. Jesus here, if Peter was listening carefully, and I think he was, would have remembered what Jesus had told the leadership of Jerusalem in John chapter 10. In John chapter 10, Jesus in, around the temple complex tells the leadership in Israel that he, not they, he is the good shepherd. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd who lays down my life for the sheep. And this shepherd metaphor is not just because Jesus likes the paintings that you may have seen in your church library of long, pretty, flowing hair Jesus with the lamb on his shoulders. Jesus uses this shepherd imagery because in the Old Testament, shepherd imagery was kingship imagery. In 2 Samuel 5, when David is installed as the king over all of Israel, he is called the one who will shepherd my people Israel. He will be prince over all of Israel. To be a shepherd is to be a leader of the flock, to feed the flock, to care for the flock, to protect the flock, to keep them in the fold. So when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, he says, I am this Messiah, David, who has now come to feed the people of God, to teach them the word of God. He is the good shepherd who will protect the sheep, to keep them from false teachers, to keep them from lies, to keep them from Satan. He's the good shepherd who will care for the sheep. So when Jesus commands Peter, feed my lambs, shepherd my sheep, feed my sheep, Jesus passes on to Peter this job of leading the people of God. Peter is now to be a shepherd among the flock. Peter is to teach the word of God to the people of God. What word is he supposed to teach? Well, Peter teaches them about Jesus, the good shepherd. Peter will proclaim the message that Jesus has proclaimed. These are the commands that Peter must follow. What does it look like for him to love Jesus? Jesus says in John 14, 15, If you love me, you will obey my commands. So love, contrary to everything you see on TV and you're reading about on a blog perhaps right now, love is not just emotion. 
Love, in the biblical sense, is loyalty. Loyalty with affection. If you cut Peter open, he loves Jesus. Now, if you put him in a corner, what will he do? He will stand with Jesus. This is loyalty with affection. It's not just emotion that waxes and wanes. You can't love Jesus for two years and then pass him, cast him aside. Love is this loyalty with affection. And on that basis, Peter will now live his life. He will feed God's sheep. He will shepherd Jesus' sheep. A life lived in obedience to Jesus has consequences. It has implications. There's a, a scope. There's a, there's a net result of a life lived in fellowship with Jesus in obedience to him. Look again with me at verses 18 to 19. Truly, truly, I said to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. Jesus tells Peter that in obeying him, that in loving Jesus, in 30 years, Peter will die a death similar to the death Jesus died. Jesus was crucified on a cross. He was tortured. He was persecuted. He was rejected by men. Jesus tells Peter that as you go about feeding my sheep and tending my sheep, you will suffer. You will be rejected. Jesus earlier had told his disciples, do not be surprised if the world hates you. They hated me. We need to know, you need to know, friends, that there is a cost to discipleship. To follow Jesus in this life is full of joy and blessing and life in its fullness, but it is life with an edge. It's life with sharp edges. It's life with death. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote a book called The Cost of Discipleship. You may have heard of it. I'd encourage you to read it. Bonhoeffer knew something about the, the costs in his life, of following Jesus. At almost every turn, this well-educated, brilliant man whose family had tons of money, the world was Dietrich's peach. He could have whatever he wanted, but he followed Jesus, and he ended up in a prison. He ended up executed, as you know, at the hands of the Third Reich. Dietrich Bonhoeffer writes this, the cross is laid on every Christian. The first Christ suffering which every person must experience is the call to abandon the attachments of this world. It is that dying of the old self which is the result of his encounter with Christ. As we embark upon discipleship, we surrender ourselves to Christ in union with, our de with his death. We give our lives to death. Why is it that Jesus tells Peter that you are going to suffer, you will actually die? It's because Jesus has died. So if you are a Christian, a little Christ, one who follows Jesus, your path 
will look like Jesus' path. No, you or I won't die for the sins of the world. That's his job. But to follow Jesus means to take on more and more and more of Jesus' life, which was full of rejection. Jesus accumulated great crowds, but eventually those crowds left him. He spoke hard, life-giving words, and people said, I don't want that. I want my own life. I don't want your plans. I don't want your will. I want my own. So this passage tests you, tests us today. If you want to follow Jesus, if you love Jesus, you will follow Jesus. But following Jesus means, as Jesus says in Mark 8, take up the cross and follow me. Christian life is cross-shaped. We must follow Jesus according to his will and not our own. Very quickly, this is the meaning of the last half of the passage. Peter, when he heard these words, turned and saw the other disciple in verse 20, who loved Jesus following them, the one who had also leaned back against him during the supper and said, Lord, who is going to betray you? This is the one who is in the upper room with Jesus, the beloved disciple. I think the author of this gospel. Jesus said to him, sorry, verse 21, this is key. When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Peter asked, Jesus, I think I hear you right. It's your will for me to suffer, to die in this life of discipleship, of feeding your sheep. But what about John right here who's following us? What's going to happen to him? Is the same thing going to happen to him that's going to happen to me? Is, is our call the same? Does it look the same? Peter, which is what we do, Peter compares his calling to John's. You are prone to look at your roommate, to look at your classmate. I am prone to look at my colleagues and to say, well, what, what am I doing wrong that he's doing right? It looks like she has everything. What about me, Lord? This is not the comparison. We can be encouraged by one another, but the comparison, Jesus says to Peter, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. If you love Jesus, if we love Jesus, we must set our eyes on Jesus and follow him wherever he would lead us, however he would lead us. For some of you, that means that you will, like Peter, take up a call to teach the people of God. You will be in, quote, full-time ministry. By the way, if you're a Christian, I think you're all in full-time ministry. For some of you, though, it will mean you will be a mother and a homemaker. This is obedience to the call of Christ, to follow Him. For some, you will be bankers, you will be athletes, you will be teachers. Your life will not look like your roommates. But if you love Jesus, you must follow Him. You must act. Finally, verse 25. Verses 24 and 25. This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things. We know that his testimony is true. These words that we're reading today are true, life-giving words. And he closes this book by saying, There are many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose the world itself could not contain the books that would be written.
Jesus, friends, Jesus is worth following. He's worth following. Following Christ is full of joy and life-giving relationship with the creator of the universe, the one who created you and me. He's worth following because if we wrote down everything he ever did, John says, it would burst the bounds of the world. So I ask you again today, do you love Jesus? If you love him, you follow him wherever and however he leads you. And the scriptures give us some concrete actions for how to do that. If you love him, you obey him. If you do not love him, or if you're not sure, if you wonder, I don't know if I love Jesus, I'd ask you to read back through the Gospel of John. Look at Jesus' life. Look at his words. He's worth following. Jesus is the good shepherd who lays down his life for you and for me. He's also the risen and the resurrected king who not just invites us, but commands us, follow me. So do you love him? Follow him. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your son Jesus and for his words to Peter and to us. We ask that you give us grace now to love you and to follow you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. For more information about Samford University, check out samford.edu.